This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.com. And this is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor. Stay tuned for Boat Talk. I'd go out on the ocean And if I had a pony I'd ride him on my board And we could all together Go out on the ocean And set me up on my pony On my board and if I were Roy Rogers I'd sure enough be single Good morning. It's uh, second Tuesday of the month. 10 o'clock in the morning, time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill, 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor. I'm Alan Sprague, here along with the handsome Mike Joyce, two old dingy sailors who are standing watch by sitting and listening. You can call 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to uh, give us something to listen to. This is a call-in show, and... uh, We'd like to dedicate it to uh, you. Want to take? Yeah, I thought we'd dedicate Boat Talk this morning to Warren Fernal, um, out to Little Cranberry, Islesford, uh, off of uh, Mount Desert there. And Warren passed away uh, last month. Warren was an old lobsterman, and we interviewed his son Bruce on Boat Talk uh, a couple editions ago about lobster. And when we talked about lobster, and we had Bruce on. And as an interviewer, I've asked a bunch of questions, but I've got a couple of favorites. And one is when I asked a lady on the soapbox if she hated America, because, you know, <laughs> some some people, uh, they say do nowadays. And, mm-hmm. and my other favorite one was uh, I knew I knew uh, Bruce's dad a little bit, and I, I wanted to ask him how he learned lobster, and I wanted him to mention his dad, you know. So I says, Bruce, how did you learn to be a lobsterman? And what a setup line Bruce got to say, wow, I don't know as I've learned yet. <laughs> I remember that. remember that. Yes. So anyway, uh, Warren was uh, a bit of a character, and uh, he had a, his office, so to speak, out there on the dock uh, by the restaurant out at uh, Islesford, Little Cranberry Island, and um, he was not shy. He was a people person, and uh, he was he was a pretty interesting fellow. He, um, you know... Uh, at his high and low points, and and uh, you know, uh, basically survived to be a uh, a well-rounded, uh, well-loved man. And he didn't uh, have a ceremony in the church because he didn't go to church. And I believe he left several thousand dollars for a lobster bake <laughs> in his honor this summer, yeah. which is a pretty cool thing. So we'll dedicate this uh, show this morning to Warren. And uh, you know, if you're ever around the dock in Northeast Harbor, over to the uh, you know the uh, restaurant over at the uh, Little Cranberry there. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have run into him. Mother Anne was his boat, and uh, you know he raised a good family. And uh, it's just a, uh, I couldn't more recommend the tribute and the working waterfront. The July edition is out, and uh, Barbara Fernald, uh, Bruce's wife, wrote a little tribute to him in the Cranberry Island report. There, I was thinking of reading a little bit of it, but I thought I might choke up if I did. Yeah, so. I, I started reading. Yes, it's yeah, yeah. And what a what a fitting tribute. So anyway, we'll dedicate this to Warren this morning. We got a, a bunch of stuff to talk about. I got a whole page full of stuff here. Um, 
One thing we are going to uh, talk about this morning is the boat school down to Camden, the so-called uh, boat yeah, school, which another is sad story. formerly known as the Marine Trade Center. And the boat school is packing up and blowing away. And if you're uh, paying attention to such stuff, we covered this last year. And last year, they uh, have been uh, the boat school has been suffering from, I say, a lack of vision. Um, for a number of years, and it has been described as the best facility of its kind in the nation down there in, in Eastport. And, uh, but it has always kind of suffered from a declining enrollment, a declining curriculum, a declining budget, and uh, it's been called like the best little secret boat school around, you know, and uh, ain't it great to have a secret school? Yeah. As part of the Washington County Community College. It's part of the Washington County Community College. Um, that needs to be uh, uh, put in context now. Washington County Community College is down about a half a million dollars in their budget for a lot of various reasons. It's hard times right now. Mm -hmm. And the boat school, which is often uh, Washington County Community College is in Callis. Now, the boat school is in Eastport. That's always been a little uh, strange thing between them. And uh, the boat school doesn't run really like a college. You can't have like an hour-long lab like you do in chemistry in a boat shop, okay? You need to go in there and spend the day sort of thing. Right. So right. credits and how that lines up. You know, it's... Um, but it's industry oriented and it's community oriented and always, always has been. You go around any shop in, uh, Maine here and you will find people that have come from the boat school everywhere. Right, right. It's a, uh, it's a resource that's, uh, unfortunately shriveling up, and especially in light of, uh, this, this article from, uh, Roger Duncan in Working Waterfront. I just uh, highlighted one one sentence that sort of, I think, epitomizes the other end of the story. He is talking about a, a group of people who are trying to get together to uh, promote Maine boat building and boat builders. And in the article he said, it is the quality of Maine craftsmanship, not the size of the boat or the material of which it is built that is important. Wouldn't matter if it was Scheherazade or a canoe, um, you know. That's right. Um, and they're into quality. They formed a uh, uh, a trade association, nonprofit trade association so called how Maine Boat Builders on Incorporated. Quality boats here without having some good quality. Well, workers. there's a little uh, contradiction, isn't there? Yeah. Because uh, the marine industry is hurting for skilled people oh, here at the present true. time. And let's face it, the boat industry in Maine is is a pretty good industry. And I didn't, uh, I've got them somewhere in my pad here, but the, the statistics on, uh, employment and, you know, total job, let alone spin-off activity, I think it's up around $650 million, mm -hmm. they reckon, down east here. Right. Okay. Um, it's a significant industry. It's not going to Bangalore. Um, and they need people. So why don't we close up the boat shop and hope to get an Indian casino and an LNG dock? You know, that'll fix it. one 625 if Mike has incensed you enough to give a call to Boat Talk. Well, uh, again, Tim Hodgson from uh, Hodgson Yachts, they just built Scheherazade, absolutely world-class boat, uh, biggest uh, coal-molded wooden boat ever built in America, I believe, 154-foot, 7-inch catch, um, absolute world-class. And he went to a boat show over in Europe and set up a tent uh, table, and across the way from him was everybody from, uh, you know, all the Dutch people were all formed together in a government group, sponsored government uh, subsidied thing with a beer tent. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Now, Tim didn't really get a lot of action at his table <laughs> compared to the beer tent, sponsored by the government sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. And New Zealand does that kind of stuff, and uh, that's how we ought to be thinking. And one of their goals for Main Boat Builder Incorporated, um, they want to do, uh, let's see, marketing. They want to share information within the industry, and they want to do education, especially of the workforce because they're hurting for skilled people. Now, we have a reputation here as being extremely skilled, but the people who do it are hurting for skilled people. So let's think about this for a little bit. And the boat school, again, is uh, they're about 100. Uh, the Washington County Community College budget is off by about a half a million dollars. The boat school budget's about 160. Yeah. So they've decided to... Um, here's what they're going to do, which I find kind of ironic, too. They're not only uh, basically... Uh, they're not closing it, so to speak, finally yet. Um, they are going to maintain the facility. It is shared by a number of people over there. There's a little boatyard there. There's a uh, Butch um, is building a schooner in the parking lot at the boat school, has been for the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a dock there. There's a travel lift. It's important to the local boating uh, community there, okay? That's going to be maintained and still used as a waterfront lab. They'll go over from Callis to use it sometimes and still going to maintain it. So still going to have some overhead. At the same time, they're going to move to Callis to a less good facility, especially the shop facility, no waterfront. And they're going to downsize the curriculum, which they have been doing for years. The boat building uh, uh, college has been shedding courses over the years. And it's well, down now to one one instructor and, uh, you know, a couple of, couple of courses left. Well, they only have 14 students, too. So the question is, why don't they have more students? Good question. Good question. You know the answer. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. 625 We called up uh, Brett Blanchard on the phone this morning. Brett used to be the chairman of the uh, boat school. Brett, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, How are Brent. you this morning? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, Brett, I find this kind of ironic. Um, I want to congratulate you on your new job. Uh, you're no longer employed by the boat school. Now you're the general manager down to Ralph Stanley Incorporated building wooden boats down to Southwest Harbor. And... Is there any irony in the fact that you're a graduate of the boat school, you used to be the director there, and now you're managing a company that, that needs boat school graduates, don't you? Oh, quite ironic. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're desperate for good good people. Um, the whole industry is. And uh, I would absolutely agree with you that uh, the demise of the school is partially due to lack of vision. There are a lot of different ways to make up for budget crises and Budget shortfalls, uh, but there there is no vision in what's being done there now. How um um the uh, lack of vision thing kind of gets me now. Uh, attended Charlie Oldham's funeral. Charlie was a uh, programmer here at WERU of some legend, and also was the uh, graphic designer for the Working Waterfront paper, which has great article, the July edition about the uh, boat school. Um, at the funeral. Uh, 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 what David Platt from the Working Waterfront told the story about how they hired Charlie, okay? And they'd been taking applications for a year or so. And they'd had a bunch of people come in, and they were all had good, good, uh, resumes, but they were looking for somebody special, okay? And they were saying to themselves after a year, I guess we're just gonna have to settle for somebody ordinary. They were looking for so- somebody with vision, a spark, you know? And they were looking for a Charlie, and they found one. And in a way, didn't, doesn't the boat school need a Charlie? Absolutely, yeah. There is nobody there that uh, right now to even head up the program. Uh, poor, 
Dean Pike, who's the sole instructor left, um, he's going to have all he can do to try to make what he's got left of the curriculum work. Uh, they are going to move it starting this week up to Callis, and uh, you're correct in that the facilities there are are oh, about the quarter of the size of what they are currently using. And uh, to my knowledge, all the curriculum that I taught is going to be um, postponed. If not, done away with. I don't know. Washington County Community College is not really all that healthy in, it, in its entirety. So, um, you know, possibly moving the thing and downsizing it, I'd have to ask, what do you think the future of the course in, in Callis might be? Well, it's, you know, that's a hard one to, to say, except that, um, you know, they're not moving forward, they're moving backward. Yeah. Um, they're... I can't see how by cutting back on curricula and moving it to a different location, you're going to save a whole lot of money. I know that before I left there, we were talking about how much it was actually going to cost to move to Callis, and it far outweighed what it was going to save. So it didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense uh, fiscally to do that. Also, uh, it's just, uh, I think it's ironic that, I'm actually working on a boat as we talk. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing this morning, Brett? Well, we've got two boats here we're trying to get ready to put in the water, two of the last boats we've got. These are both uh, Ralph Stanley designs. One of them is a variation of a fish class, and another one is uh, just a 19-footer that he designed. And we're just cleaning them up and getting them ready to go. Launching yeah. day. It's about time, middle of July. Yeah, well, <laughs> it is about time. But we always have a couple that are that are a little bit last and late, and we're working at them. Uh, again, you know, if we had more people, we probably could get this done a little faster. There you go. Um, here's a question that I'm, I'm kind of I'm sorry to ask, but because um, I love eSport, and I travel down there. I uh, used to bring my boss's boat down there on a regular basis, and I'd leave it there for him so he could go up to St. Andrews and stuff, and then I'd fly out eSport in the boss's Learjet, and I, I always loved tripping down to eSport, to tell you the truth. But yeah. not everybody uh, finds it a great place to hang out, um, so to speak. And it, Did the location challenge the uh, boat school, for instance? Um, you know, eSport is kind of seen as a... Um, you know, not a uh, party, not as a college town, a little dull. Let's put it that way. And Absolutely. again, we're talking about the vision thing. You know. Yeah, <laughs> we so, made our own. We made our own parties. Yeah. Oh, it's a great facility down there. There's great people, but I'm saying that um, you know, perhaps it was location challenged as well. Yeah. Uh, actually, we found the location to be somewhat of an advantage, really. What we would end up with is students that were a little more serious about what they were doing and not looking to party. Mm. Um, you know, we were looking for people to put in good jobs in the industry, and the industry's not looking for... We have a, a phone call who uh, I think would like to interject, too. So, Well, I, you know, this, this is Dean Dean Pike, uh, Brett and I... Hey, Dean! <laughs> <laughs> Brett and I, up until very recently, uh, uh, taught together for a great number of years. Uh, anyway, I, and Greg Russell, who graduated from the school with with me, just called me up and said I should call in. So I'm doing this pretty cold, but I I can tell you pretty much what's going on. Um, the president of the community college, President Cassidy, has given us literally till this 
Friday to raise somewhere between a hundred and a hundred and twenty three thousand dollars and we had hoped to do that by doing uh, essentially leasing out some of the facility to uh, subsidize the overhead of the school because the the community college system in Augusta was unwilling to to do that so essentially what's been you know what was laid in front of me uh, yesterday was a a series of conditions that are essentially impossible for a renter to to meet. So a bunch of us are getting together tonight, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we can do some sort of a counter proposal and and meet this deadline. But obviously, roadblocks are getting thrown in front of us that are going to be pretty tough to to deal with. Uh. Now, Brett, you're going to be, I'm sorry, uh, Dean, you're going to be uh, going over to Callis and still teaching a course or two, aren't you? Well, I mean, obviously they kind of they, they kind of have me over a, a barrel, so to speak. I mean, I've got a boatyard to run. I've got a marine store, a boatyard. I've got a number of employees that, that I was kind of, you know, when I was teaching in eSport, it was kind of, you know, you, you could kind of keep your, your finger on the pulse of the business, but driving to Callis is going to be tough. Yeah, you're Moose Island Marine as well as an instructor over there. Exactly, yeah. and have been so for, for 25 years. But the, the, the issue is, am I going to go to Callis? Uh, y- you know, I'm from down East Maine. I'm quite stubborn. I'm, I'm certainly not going to let this thing die. Uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to hopefully make it succeed but the, the issue that I have is what is happening is the Board of Trustees, President Fitzsimmons, President Cassidy, are forcing me into a shop environment that is not as safe as the shop that we have in eSport. What they're trying to do is, is put four boats, 20 students in a, in a space that's one half of what we had. And as Brett can testify, the, the, in the past, the all your machine tools, your your whirring, cutting, sharp stuff was out in one room, so it was away from uh, students that were actually working on the boats. Now it's going to be in one big room. Seems obvious to guess they're more worried about balance sheets than practicalities. I could, I guess you could say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something else that should be pointed out is that Dean and I met every one of the requirements that they set before us to continue, you know, for the continuation of the program. Uh, we did everything we were supposed to do, and uh, we met our obligations, but they did not meet theirs. Did the boat school ever attract people nationally? Yes. And if not, why not? <laughs> or if they did, how did you do that? Are there are there community colleges that have national? Uh, programs. The, the boat school in Eastport is I, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to stretch the the truth, but we never let the truth get in the way of a good story. But anyway, the the uh, the, the boat school in Eastport is was one of the community colleges only programs that not only brought in students nationally but internationally. I had one class that I had more people from other countries than I had from Maine. How did they get there, and why aren't they still coming? Well, they they are. <laughs> that's the that's the the crazy thing is that even 
even because even despite of all of the bad publicity, I still have I had a whole busload of potential students show up from Atlanta, Georgia just to see Maine's boat school. Think how much more fun they're gonna have at the casino. Yeah. I'm sorry go. I couldn't help there that. You go. There you go. <laughs> Dean, don't you have a full class coming in? Well, the, the, you know, as, as funny as it sounds, Brett, the, we, we, we had 20, you know, we'd enrolled 20, we, we'd uh, had 29 applicants because of this fiasco. I mean, obviously, people, we were pushing the, the, the program and the facility. Parents are calling left and right and complaining about the presto changeo. So I was afraid of. So we've lost students. Now I I had a guy come the other day that 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 look you know here I am in Eastport I'm showing him the Eastport facility I, and and he's asking me can I offer the same education in Callis? Well, obviously you can't. But I said I'm gonna do my damnedest to make sure that everything in that curriculum gets gets delivered uh, as best I can. It doesn't have the right feel about it, does it, of, uh, you know, attracting people to a positive, you know, a positive uh, growing place, does it? The boat building program left Callis because it was an inferior facility. Oh, man, way too much irony here. Um, you know, so, so let's, the, the issue is, and it's bigger, it's, it's a bigger issue for the state of Maine. The, the bottom line is the state of Maine, we're the highest tax state in the union, and we're literally supporting two institutions, namely the community college system and the University of Maine system, that are essentially both able to offer liberal arts education. We can't stand it as a state financially. We were way better off when we had vocational technical institutes that taught a trade that people stayed in the state of Maine to ply those trades. Good Somehow job. we've lost track. Where people can actually work down in Washington County and live there and actually have probably benefits. And, exactly. And make a decent, decent living. I mean, it's ludicrous for, for Governor Baldacci to put a letter in the Quaddy Tides expounding every, all these great things that, that he's planning on for Washington County and naming the marine trades as one of those things to get down to Lyman Morris and, and shake hands and get photo ops so that, that uh, he can expound this $250,000 grant he's given and, on the other hand, not support the, main, the, the Maine's only state-supported boat school. The uh, Eastern Maine Development Corporation and the Acadia Development Corporation have got together with the Career Center in Ellsworth. They've got a grant of about $35,000, purpose being to expose low- and mid-level income workers to the boat industry. And, uh, Bucksport, Stonington, and Trenton are uh, very interested in this, among other towns. And they're going to hold rolling job fairs, and what they want to do is introduce workers to employers who will train them. Right. I, I, you know, I have no problem with that, but, but if you talk to employers, most small boatyards don't have a whole heck of a lot of time to sponsor formal training programs. You know what I mean? There you I go. Can attest to that. Place I was telling uh, Brett yesterday, place I worked, he used to say, "Now, hey, we're not reinvent the wheel, Marine, and we're not a teaching yard." 
you know, like a teaching hospital, and, and uh, it, it is hard to uh, bring people along. Um, you know, again, Brett has left the boat school and now needs boat school uh, graduates, uh, you know, down to Ralph Stanley there. Um, so does everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the boat school in eSport does not need a grant. What we need, and we've needed for several years now, when, when, when the guy, when Tom Dime, who was the division head down here, left the boat school, his position was never filled. Well, in effect, that place has been running with just Brett and I and a couple of other instructors up until last year with literally no, nobody running the place. And you can't run a business without somebody running it. You can't run a school without somebody running it. First time I anchored out back there, I wandered around. There was nobody in sight. I, you know, I took a tour of the place by myself, and then I was wandering around one time, and somebody cost me. What are you doing? You know, there was nobody there. <laughs> well, oh. the, the the potential is enormous, and it's very sad that that uh, uh, it's it's come to this. It's it's extremely sad that it's come to this because it's all about money and and the school does not need a grant to keep it going what we need is just to be allowed to recruit one of the first th- you know i mean when you don't have somebody in charge whose primary uh, whose primary objective is to recruit when you lose that person what do you get it'd be like if 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 the most prestigious boatyard in maine just all of a sudden decided not to advertise and you know, pull their website off the, the the internet. What would happen to orders? What would happen if the guy that was running the place decided to take off for four or five months and see what was left when he came back? Good luck. Exactly. Oh, guys, uh, anything else you'd like to add this morning? I mean, uh, this this is such a bummer. It's hard to even know where to go. Well, simply, if if there are any, we've we've kind of emailed a bunch of boat builders and called a bunch of boat builders. If there are any boat builders out there that uh, that w- are looking for uh, expansion into Washington County, have them give me a ring. Uh, the space is available. It's very reasonably priced. Uh, some of the stipulations are pretty astronomical, but they. I'm hoping that uh, people will listen to uh, to reason. What's going on? Uh, is my buddy Butch building a schooner in the parking lot there? Yeah, yeah. She just launched there. A couple, well, just uh, just after the Fourth of July, it no launched. Kidding. So that was one of the largest vessels being built in the state of Maine. About ninety-two feet, I think it was. Ninety-two feet. It's glass. It was it was a one-off glass schooner built um, outside in the parking lot. Outside in the parking lot. By a fellow who, uh, Butch has, uh, what's her name, uh, the other schooner there uh, in town. Uh, the Sylvina Beal. Sylvina Beal, and uh, has been doing charters, and he wanted another schooner, so he looked into buying one, and he said, heck, I can build one cheaper than that, and he set about doing it in the parking lot. I find exactly. that pretty pretty good, uh, you know, get up and go. Yeah, it's it's, it's in the water. Um, they they uh, All the ballast is in, uh, I think. Uh, they're getting ready to step the mass either today or tomorrow, and then they're going to do the stability test. Excellent. Glad to hear it. 
Well, guys, uh, uh, Dean, I'm so glad you called this morning. Thanks, Greg Russell, for well, uh, arranging that. And uh, Brett, uh, you know you're working, so we don't want to keep you all morning here. You got a you got a launch on the tide this afternoon, so yeah. But keep moving forward. Again, uh, anytime, anytime, fellas, and uh, you know, uh, I don't think we're done talking about the boat school here yet on boat talk either. Okay, if you happen to talk to you anytime. Yeah. Hey, Brett. Sorry, we had to talk like this over the radio. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I'll yes. give you a call this weekend. Not too bad, though. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hey, all right. I'll see you later. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Brett Blanchard and Dean Pike from uh, formerly, uh, some formerly, some uh, not of the boat school down at Eastport. 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to uh, join in in boat talk. I have just read that the NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association... Another has, outrage! Yes, is taking criticism. No, this is this is a different outrage. Oh, there, well, no, we got... Not, no, this is, this let's is, pile the outrage on this morning. They are they are taking uh, comments on their plans to try to reduce whale boat collisions. Ah. And so you need to go to the Internet and uh, go to NOAA.gov. Well, that is important. And uh, they have a, a section on whales and, and boats colliding. Now, there's also a new uh, bill coming up in Congress uh, that has to do with uh, NOAA and the National... It's called the National Weather Service Duties Act, sponsored by Rick Santorum of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind this, this bill is introduced with the jobs and public safety of Pennsylvanians as my first priority, Senator Santorum says. Um, several... Weather companies, including 400 jobs, are centered in the Pennsylvania area, including AccuWeather, who does the Channel 7 weather in uh, Bangor on television. Well, they do here. weather all They're over. not in Bangor. Oh, They're no. in Pennsylvania, okay? And the guy who worked in Bangor, he now does the weather on WERU. <laughs> so anyway, Rick Santorum is looking out for those people. And this bill is uh, designed to... Uh, as he says, the Weather Service is spending tax dollars to, quote, aggressively compete with private forecasters. And this bill is meant to direct the National Weather Service to provide raw data in a format most useful to commercial forecasters and possibly discontinue their own forecasting, okay, if it was commercially available. Mm-hmm. Now, would that mean that the traditional weather radio you can turn yeah, on right now perfect Paul. would be gone. And Santorum's people say, we're not sure. Maybe it would. It'll always be there. It just might be somebody else, they say. Mm-hmm. And again, aggressive use of, of uh, your tax dollars to thwart private competition in the, in the weather industry. Now, this uh, weather radio is important to mariners. And uh, most people I know will turn it on and listen to it for, like, uh, hours. And I can't stand that personally. But, um, you know, everybody uses it. Senator uh, Olympia Snow says, I will fight any legislation that would privatize this essential capability. And uh, she's on a committee to do that. So, anyway, will the uh, weather radio stop or be replaced? There's uh, Senate Bill 786, the Weather Service Duties Act. Rick Santorum right now. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, um, what do you say we go back to the to the whale issue? Okay. Um, I mentioned whale boat collisions. We have another person on the phone, Bubble Cora brain. Johnson, yeah. who is here to talk about um, whale um, entanglements. Good morning, Tora. Are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Why don't you just go right ahead and talk about um, your book and uh, the, the response you've had to it. Sure. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting road. My book is 
called Entanglements, the Intertwined Fates of Whales and Fishermen. Uh, and it looks at this whole issue of whales and tangling and fishing gear. And, um, you know, instead of taking one side or another, what I've done is really dug into it and looked at it from all the different sides and factions, looking at the stories of the people involved and the animals involved and and um, and the regulators involved, and uh, tried to lay out what the issue um, r- really is from the, a broad perspective and uh, tried to understand why we haven't solved the problem to the satisfaction of all the parties yet. There is uh, enough problems in the fisheries before you even throw in whale entanglements. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say, and I think that um, the, those issues, you know, the lack of trust, especially between fishermen and regulators and between fishermen and, and environmentalists, the lack of trust has really played into the whale issue and made it even harder to make any progress with it. Now, a lot of this comes down to gear because whales get entangled. Well, they get hit by boats, and mm-hmm. uh, I hit a sunfish one time with a, a sailboat. Yeah. And uh, the uh, fisherman who was with me, I used to have a big red-headed fisherman went all the time, and he wouldn't hardly ever let me drive because if the engine wasn't running and he wasn't driving, he wasn't happy on, on the sailboat. So <laughs> so uh, he had gone downstairs to use the toilet, and he says, I want you to drive. The autopilot's going, I want you to drive. You need the practice. Okay, I'll stand behind the wheel. And he's on the toilet and then bump and knocked him right. I spun the boat around, spun him right off the toilet, and he's up the companionway. What the hell did you hit? Wow. I think I hit a whale. And went back in this big ocean sunfish with a blue spot on his back. And, uh, you know, they're uh, quite large. They're like a whale with a, just a whale yeah. head with no, no whale under them. Yeah. A little fin <laughs> waving on the surface, and they're lethargic in cold water. Uh, so it's hard to tell if you did any damage. No, too, he said, yeah, he's, he seemed happy enough, except for the blue streak on him where we, we biffed him. But, um, <laughs> yeah, again, boats hit him, and then, uh, of course, they get entangled in, in fishing gear, which is expensive. It's a. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, a capitalization that fishermen have that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it comes down to, I guess, in a lot of ways, there's different kinds of rope. Let's get right to rope. Uh, some rope floats, some rope doesn't. Yep. Uh, the, the key issue um, for the non-fishing uh, listeners, the key issue is the, um, or, or for Mainers right now, I think, is the, is the ground line, the line that links traps, strings of traps together um, in Maine and um, really until recently, everywhere in New England, fishermen used floating line to link their traps together, and uh, that keeps the line up off the bottom so it doesn't scrape, um, you know, chafe through or tangle on the bottom. In Massachusetts and um, and I think beginning in, in other places, the lobstermen have gone over to sinking line, and that works fine on a flat bottom, a muddier, sandy bottom like they have in Massachusetts. With not places. as much tide. And not as much tide, exactly. But when you're, you know, fishing down east, um, when you're fishing down east, uh, you have a lot more tide. You have a very, very rocky bottom, all those rocks that the glaciers have dumped there. And uh, the rope gets tangled. Now, the feds have, the, the uh, National Marine Fishery Service has proposed a rule, and, it, and it's looking like they're going to implement it, um, that would require sinking ground line everywhere. And um, Maine fishermen, Maine lobstermen are understandably uh, miffed 
well, that's an understatement. Um, many of them will not be able to fish in the areas that they fish now if they're forced to use sinking ground line. And that means uh, that those who keep fishing in those areas will be using singles. Instead of linking long strings of traps together, so two or four or six traps together, they'll just march, mark each trap with a single line. More lobster buoys on the surface to dodge for the rest of us. Exactly, and more line, ultimately. You know, we have very deep water, so yeah. there's a lot of line to reach from the surface to the We'll bottom. have to throw away all that sinking rope and uh, all that floating rope and buy sinking rope. That's got to be thousands and billions of miles of rope, isn't it? Yeah. They, the, the feds have estimated that it will cost uh, the New England lobster fishery, fishery alone more than $10 million. Their, The estimates were 14 and and, you know, some fishermen have estimated even higher costs to the fishery. Now, in Massachusetts, for where where the guys have gone over to the sinking line, um, an animal rights group, although they don't like to be called an animal rights group, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, um, they certainly don't act like um, other animal rights groups. They have joined with the Massachusetts Lobstermen's Association and actually funded and executed a buyback program for sinking for, to help the fishermen buy sinking rope. And and that's been important for a number of reasons. Um, that's been important for a number of reasons. You know, not only does it help the fishermen make that change, but it's built trust between fishermen and whale advocates that um, is really lacking. And it's very, very much lacking in Maine. You know, it, it, it's hard to find trust between those kinds of factions in Maine right now. Boy, so we got a really challenged industry with a uh, uh, protected, uh, you know, species problem and a lack of mm-hmm. trust all around, and a lot of expensive gear that probably not going to work anymore. It's it's uh, not a big problem, is it? Yeah, we. Um, in one thing too that uh, I I discovered recently is that the lobster fishery, in terms of you know, not in terms of pounds landed, but in terms of the value of the catch, is actually the largest grossing industry, fishing industry in the nation. And and that really speaks to how economically important it is in New England. You just spoke of the uh, New England lobster fishery to the southern of us here, and it's uh, it's uh, going away. The lobsters are challenged uh, mm-hmm. uh, by shell disease, and, and uh, the water is warming up, possible pesticides. Uh, they say that the fishing fleet of lobstermen in uh, uh, Rhode Island, I was just down there in a boat delivery last summer, and there's no traps in the water. Yeah, there's no there's there no fishery left. Half or more of them have gone out of business. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. There's virtually no fishery um, left in you know far southern New England. Um, the the guys north of Cape Cod are doing well, and and in Massachusetts they're going further offshore. But that um, shell disease is creeping north, and hopefully it will stop soon. Um, but yeah, we've it's a, it's a major challenge, and then. Uh, you know, the guys up there, uh, every fisherman in every industry at this point is really facing a, a, a lot of challenges. And as you know, a lot of guys are, um, have been driven out of the fishery and that's changed, uh, that's changed, uh, a lot of things in, uh, in the New England fishery. It would, uh, again, uh, the economic, uh, value down here can't be overstated. It's not even possible to mm-hmm. overstate mm-hmm. it. 
Um, yeah. Let alone a good job for a, just a great article, I believe, again, working waterfront of kids uh, down in Stonington, the high school fisheries program. And, oh, yeah. Uh, they're all just graduating from high school. They're all driving new trucks and new boats. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And buying houses. And yeah. they're graduating from high school. Think about that. Yeah, it's it's very important, and it's the one thing keeping them in their in their towns. You know, I grew up on Cape Cod, and I can't. I'm that's where I'm calling from right now, and I can't stay here. I can't. I couldn't afford to stay, and um, so my husband uh, was born and raised on Vinyl Haven. His father's still a lobsterman on Vinyl Haven, and um, so we're living down east, and uh, you know that's that's the only place we can afford to stay and be near the water and. And uh, uh, you know, live in the kind of place that we grew up. Tora, what's going to happen uh, with the entanglement thing, or, or what's the best thing that can happen, in your opinion? Um, in my opinion, um, well, needless to say, I'm very frustrated that the that the fishery service has not taken seriously the concerns of uh, down east lobstermen. Um, and and I think if they implement the plan that they have and you know have proposed. Um, it could be a train wreck. It could be um, bad for both fishermen and whales, and it could be a long time recovering economically and, and also in terms of trust. I think the best thing that could happen is that that sinking ground line um, provision goes into effect really as soon as possible everywhere where it's possible to fish that way. And, and that as that happens, in the meantime, the fishery service takes a hard careful look at what the, the Down East lobstermen um, are, are grappling with and look at implementing, before the lobstermen would be required to, to use the sinking ground line, implement a gear configuration that will work to fish and that will actually bring the profile of the line down. Um, and uh, so far, the fishery service you know, they act on a geologic time scale anyway. Um, so far, they haven't really um, taken that seriously and pursued it, and, and that's really frustrating to me. You know, they sort of throw a lot of money at um, a lot of things that have not worked, a lot of things that make, um, that still, you know, again, um, impact trust, like the Dam Dams, the, the Dynamic Area Management Program, which as far as anyone can tell, has never saved a single whale from entanglement, but has really um, cost a lot of people time, money, effort, um, you know, fishing time, money, and effort. And, um, and they're spending their time and money implementing that, uh, that regulation. So if they can dump those dams and really turn towards uh, finding a, a lower profile gear configuration, for fishermen in Maine, I think I think we can get somewhere, but if they just go ahead with what they've got planned, we can't. Tora, who do you think would uh, determine what areas were uh, okay for floating line or, or or not? That's a really good question, um, and you know I'm certainly not the person to do that. Uh, and in the meetings and, uh, you know, the preparation of this current proposal, there were lots of uh, back and forth about uh, where to draw those lines where fishermen would be exempt on one side and required to follow the plan on the other. And the, the, uh, the line that they ha have drawn right now 
um, is is actually inshore of uh, of some places that uh, some of the whale biologists felt were uh, you know could be exempted. So um, there's a sense among fishermen and the state regulators that that line could move offshore a bit. Um, but the fishery service wanted to you know to simplify things, which is a good idea. Uh, and and keep, but that also is excluding. Um, some areas where probably whales aren't going to be feeding near the bottom and, and getting mixed up in sinking and in floating ground lines. Uh, Tora Johnson, uh, again, the book is called Entanglement. I read that and I enjoyed especially the uh, the story, especially about my buddy Bob Bowman going out and untangling mm. whales and stuff. And uh, on the other hand, I must say that I think the subject suffers from its complexity and there's yeah. lots of acronyms uh you know of organizations and plans and you know it, it gets it gets uh really confusing yeah, i think even for the people involved in it yeah that's true and and um i i worked hard in writing the book to um simplify that the the chapter on regulation i think it's chapter 4 is um is half the length of every other chapter um mostly because i didn't I didn't want to dwell on on the acronyms and the you know the paperwork. I wanted to get to the people and the animals and the stories. And uh, a lot of good stories in there, uh, Tor. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, a call-in show too. If you'd like to join in, have any questions for Tora or anything else, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the the number to call. What's it like writing a book? Uh, it's an interesting. The whole the whole thing has been really interesting. It's my first. You know, I, I did publish one, a key to invertebrates, once a long time ago. That's a different kind of book. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think that's uh, very admirable to be a published author. I'm, I'm, oh, uh, thanks. Yeah, you have. Yeah, it's hard work, and um, it it was uh, a a really good experience. So you know, if you tell somebody you're you're listening to really make them heard. Um, it, it gains people's confidence, and you know it, it's a responsibility to, to um, you know live up to their trust and their expectations. But I, I met so many really earnest, interesting people who had been working really hard on this issue from all different sides, trying to find solutions that will work for everyone, and uh, and that was really enjoyable. And and now I'm you know I'm touring around and talking about the book and meeting people and. Um, and uh, you know, seeing that really people are concerned about both the whales and the fishermen, and you know, see are able to see all sides of it, even if the press doesn't always give them all sides. Do you have a website or somewhere people can go for more information? I do indeed. It's entanglements.net, and there's information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wrote her a note. Alan is in charge of puns around here. Tora. I told you it was catchy. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that the website has information about the book. It has links to um, a lot of resources to learn more about it. And um, there's even a web blog with um, some comments, even a summer reading list, uh, and uh, observations on the, a recent hearing in Ellsworth, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, uh, so, and I've gotten good feedback for it. It's, uh, it has a lot of information that people have been using, which is great. Yeah. How's things down at Cape Cod this morning? Uh, it's a beautiful day, actually. It was 
brutally hot yesterday, but it's much cooler today. I got a call yesterday to go down to, uh, I believe it turned out to be Plymouth, to go get a Morris boat. And I says, oh, I got to do boat talk tomorrow, but we can leave right after. And they uh, left at 6 a.m. this morning without me, so. Uh-huh. Missed yeah. the boat. So anyway, that'd be the best way to, uh, yeah, sail home from Massachusetts. Uh, think about the boys yeah. out in the Gulf of Maine tonight. Anyway, Boat Talk is calling show 1-866-625-9378. And uh, I want to thank you, Tora, for um, talking about entanglement this morning. Thank Great. you very much. Thank you, Tora. And speaking of the Internet, um, Boat Talk now has uh, Internet. We do? Yes, we I do. I should know that. We are, yep. Um, Boat Talk has a website. It's called, not, no, it's not, well, we do have a website, but it's, we have an email address. Website's not much yet. The email address, if you'd like to contact Boat Talk, is a good one. It's simply boattalk at adelphia.net, not fishnet, adelphia.net. That's Boat Talk, uh, two T's, all one word. And I was thinking with this website, uh, excuse me, email address, we might have a sort of a, a contest, I guess. I know it's not commercial radio, so I don't know if we can call it contest, but a giveaway. A little, yeah, giveaway sort of thing. Um, if you have any boat names do you think are particularly good for any reason, and uh, windswept, osprey, yeah, there's all those are some of the standard top, yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of the unusual ones. I named my boat Cahoots. Okay. You know, something is little, uh, little, little tricky in one way or another. Uh, just send it to boat talk at adelphia.net and then, uh, next month we'll, we'll read some of the entries and we'll sort of have... Sort like Kathy's band name contest, boat name contest. Yes. There we'll, you go. We'll be giving away one of our valuable limited edition semi-handcrafted boat talk bumper stickers for a prize. I can't even get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, we do broadcast, WERU of course broadcasts on the web at WERU.org and you can listen to, uh, boat talk on the Computer and we had a uh, boat talk computer miracle. Oh right, yeah. And uh, I got an email here. I don't do email, but I got one uh, through the station here from Vancouver, British Columbia. British Columbia was listening. That was signed with a name of an old friend of mine, Norman Barry. And uh, Norman Barry, when I lived down in Nova Scotia, we worked together. I spent the holidays with him. I totally admired and uh, adopted, especially his carpentry style. I mean, big big influence in my life. Haven't seen him for 25 years, hmm. and I get this email from Norman Barry in Vancouver saying I really enjoyed boat talk. <coughs> I wrote back saying you must confirm or deny if you're that Norm Barry, and he called me on the phone and we had a great chat. Hmm. He come across boat talk. He com- he he claims by complete chance and recognized my voice. And uh, again, put the two of us back together after 25 years is huh. way cool. Boat talk at Adelphia.net. There you go. Um, we have another phone call. Yeah. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Thanks for your welcome. Um, last night, I was awakened at three, as I usually am. <clears throat> That's a, a long story, but I picked up the secret life of a lobster. Trevor Corson, we uh, did a whole show about that, basically. Did you catch that one? No, I wish I had. Oh, you oh, poor, much poorer for it. Uh, it might be archived. Oh. Yeah, it was back in March or April, I believe, oh, okay. and uh, we did about lobster. And wonderful book. How would you like it? I'm fascinated by it. Um, one of the reasons that I called in, besides the fact that I adore your show, is that in speaking about the bottom of the... Gulf of Maine, (laughs) and where lobsters hide or um, increase baby lobsters, 
are in pebbly bottoms. I think I understood him to write. Among he, other, they they will uh, hang out on a wide variety of bottoms. I understand, but well, uh, pebbly uh, among others, yes. He was speaking about the east side and the west side of Damariscove Island. Yeah, no, well, and the whether it was the currents um, on the. Um, I'm going to say west side. But at any rate, these little creatures would scurry to find uh, hiding places where they knew that they could uh, grow, multiply. On the west side, in a very gravelly or cobbly, I think he used the word cobbly. And I was thinking about this in terms of your author in sinking lines versus floating lines. And it seems to me that one size doesn't fit all, that whether you're talking about entangling uh, whales or uh, continuing your lobster industry in Maine, please God, um, that these kinds of issues should be considered uh, not all bottoms. <laughs> Sorry about this. are the same. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to mention in the book was I learned about the Fernal family. And there was a lovely, as you know, section about the Fernals in Little Cranberry Island. Exactly. Which I knew as a girl almost 75 years ago. And, um, oh, I hope you will continue on with this uh, boat industry concerns. Um and all of the wonderful other uh, boat issues that you discuss. From the point of view of a land lover, I'm really, really grateful. Well, we got to have lobsters to go on top of the picnic table. we got to have the boats going around in front of the cameras, and, you know, uh, them people need to do something all day. So, well, in a perfect world, what if lobsters became like caviar or fine wine like that? You know, you had to pay... 30, 40 bucks a piece. The price them. is up right now. And Well, I mean way up. So yeah. the fishermen didn't have to have so many traps and buoys and strings and all that stuff out there. You know, if you could limit yourself to, say, 150 or 200 wow, I saw a teaser on, price. I saw a teaser on the TV news the other night of a fellow who was going to build a better lobster trap, and that alarmed me. Um, have you got to the part in The Secret Life of Lobsters yet about the lobster trap video camera? Yes, I have. Where I the lobsters enter and exit the trap at will. Basically, yes. 90% of lobsters can walk <laughs> in and out of it. And they're pretty smart. <laughs> some fishermen say you call that a trap. <laughs> and the idea being that the inefficiency of the trap has a lot to do with the health of the industry. The fact that they are feeding those, those are not traps so much as feeding stations. And the um, lobsters go in and they, they eat a tremendous amount of bait that is provided for them. I'd like to... Just remind us all of the irony of having a lobster become a delicacy. This was once, you know, considered just junk food mm -hmm. for people who didn't have the wherewithal to buy whatever. Um, and now we find that a lobster becomes a luxury. 
The luxury lobster. I got jaded on lobsters one time. So I traded a fellow one time. I uh, built a cabin on his lobster boat for him, a shelter, and uh, he owed me a couple hundred lobsters. And before he blew the engine and went out of business, you know, <laughs> I had a hundred odd lobsters, and I'd give them away as fast as I could. Every time I'd get in the truck in Northeast Harbor, there'd be lobsters, and I, oh no, <laughs> not more lobsters, oh please. And I got tired of them, honestly. Terrible. One other uh, mention, and that is that concerns me. Um, when you speak about the weather um, stations, and that is the privatization of our public resources, uh, that that's another great concern to think that in uh, an economy which is down, that we would have to uh, pay for things that are needed, whether it's health care or education or weather reporting, that it's not a part of the public uh, common good. Kind of makes you wonder. Now, I see a bright side in this, though. Perhaps private uh, for-profit industry could do a better job on the computerized voice that now reads the news, okay? <laughs> it really annoys some people. And, and the other day, I heard, you know, when he says, Pith, scat, duck, quack, you know, I mean, perhaps, we could, sure. perhaps we could get a better robot if we were paying him more. So there. I would like to see it as a job for people rather than the robot. But well, then yeah, there's right. another whole program. What, what a Thanks. dreamer. How'd you get on the phone here today? <laughs> I, it's because I'm 75, a grandmother, and as my daughter says, have too much time on my hands. Anyway, thank you guys. Well, we respect that. Thank you. Uh, thank right, you very bye. much. A couple more minutes of boat talk, and I We're, stress a yeah. couple, one 625 is the number here. Right up against the wall. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get to all the stuff in front of us here this morning. Got a couple of books to recommend. A fellow named John Turk has just blown me away. Um, he's written two books. Uh, the first one is called Cold Oceans, and it is a story of his first and four trips, which all failed uh, somewhat spectacularly. Kayak around uh, Cape Horn, that didn't work out. Uh, he tried to drag a wherry across the Northwest Passage in one season, the fiberglass wherry. That didn't work out too good. Man, this guy. He uh, dog-sledded Baffin Island and then uh, kayaked from Baffin Island to Greenland, and none of those were successful. But on, along the way, he learned that the journey was as important or more important than the goal. And, uh, well, yeah, you sort of have to if you don't make your goal. Fascinating <laughs> books. Uh, one is called Cold Ocean, and the other is uh, The Wake of the Jamon, where he basically paddled from Japan to Alaska. Oh, man. And that fellow is John Turk, and I highly recommend those. Uh, <laughs> I hear the theme the music book. in the background. I believe yep. we're being squeezed out. We're fading out. out. Let's do this for another hour or so. We could easy. <laughs> yeah, we're having great fun. Easy to do that. It's about time to say goodbye, though, from Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9, Bangor, for Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce. Uh, don't forget about the Boat Talk Boat Name Contest. That's at Boat Talk. At Adelphia.net. A little imagination here, you yeah. know. Some double meanings, some triple meanings, some, uh, I'm gonna some inspiration. Be I'm going to be away next month, but Mike's going to be here with Giffy Full. So look forward to that. For that. Second Tuesday of next month. All right, travel safe. We could all go out on the ocean and me up on my point, on my Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Redfern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. 
Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. And by Atlantic Challenge of Rockland, home of the apprentice shop and community sailing. Summer sailing lessons for youth and adults, as well as courses in building a six-plank chest, lofting a boat, or carving a half model. Atlantic Challenge is a non-profit organization. 594-1800 or atlanticchallenge.com.